Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Let's go back to 2011 with Squidge. Let's look at the World Cup again with Squidge. Hello and welcome to the Squidge Rugby World Cup Retrospective Podcast, the only rugby podcast with more syllables in its name than the entire Georgian front row. <laughs> Today, my name's Robbie or Squidge or whatever you want to call me. As ever, I'm joined by apparently Nottingham Rugby's player of the season, Will Owen. That's me, for anyone wondering. <laughs> yeah, and definitely not someone else that happens to share your name. No, no, no. And no. I'm an open side flanker if anyone asks. Yeah. My stature. <laughs> yeah. And joining us from the Scottish Rugby Podcast, Cammy Black. Hello, I was I was once trainer of the season in my very first season playing rugby, which is basically he turned up on time and put in a more effort than anybody else, but it was roundly rubbish. I tell you what, I've got that. I got that my first two seasons in a row playing. I got clubman of the year, which just meant he turns up and he drops the ball for an hour, then he goes home and doesn't complain. <laughs> <laughs> I came third on most improved, which means I was shit and did not get much better. <laughs> Like, it wasn't the raw material to begin with, but, you know, he tried. He's not how did they have a third for that? He was like, I just say, well, there's most improved. Why would you then rank people? <laughs> it only went down to, it was only went to the bronze medal place. He didn't rank right down to the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> they went down to, like, either you were really good in the first place or, oh, you should have quit. It's a strange criteria for getting nominated for most improved, isn't it? You never know quite mm. how to feel because it's like, well, that implies you thought I was shit 12 months ago. Yeah. And I did feel like the person that that won it over me, the person that came first, was actually quite good in the first place. So mm. I don't know. And oh, Sounds like you're a Rob, mate. I, absolutely. <laughs> Outright. Um, if you were also... working from a lower base level, then yeah, clearly. <laughs> That's how it works. <laughs> I that, Personally, I think going from... 2% good to 8% good is better than going from 90% good to 92% good. But, you know, what do I know? Apparently very little. Uh, 92 is the highest number we're going to hear today, I think. Yeah. Because we are here to talk about... We could talk about the amount of times Dan Park's kicked. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's kicking percentage. No, that's less than 92. Ah. <laughs> uh, Scott... So it's we're on the, the game we've all been looking forward to. Scotland's 15-6 win over Georgia. Um, Cammy, thank you for volunteering. Thank you for agreeing, at least, even not volunteering, to, yeah. to, to do this one. This this service. Honestly, this wasn't as bad as I thought it was. When you asked me to do this, my heart sank. I was obviously <laughs> pleased, not because you'd asked me to do this. I was obviously very happy with that. But just the, the idea of revisiting this game, because I've never, I've only watched it once. Yeah. And now because we do the podcast, I watch games at least twice. I watch it live and then I'll, I'll go mm. back and look at it again. So this, I wasn't doing, I wasn't even writing for the blog at this point. I started writing mm. for the Scottish Rugby blog, the Six Nations after this. Right. So going back and this is the first time I've watched it again. And it was, it wasn't as bad as I may come on to as I, as I remember it. I think in my yeah. head I'd written it off as this horrendous game that never so, to be spoken of again. Exactly. Yeah. 
So, and to, to pick on the other person in the room, was that your impression as well? Um, it was probably as bad as I remember it. Personally. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the thing is, with England-Argentina, I'd managed to talk myself mm. into it being dreadful. I thought, yeah, it was pretty bad, you know. But with this, I simply couldn't get on with it. Unfortunately, See, that was our kind of brief. Like we're avoiding talking about the game in detail, but both like we both watched it now. And I said, well, it wasn't as bad as England-Argentina, and you disagreed. Yeah, and that was the... because, and I think genuinely this is it. The game's shorter than England-Argentina, which was a truly atrocious game and seemed to go on forever. There were so many stoppages and reset scrums. Whereas this one, thankfully, you know, it wasn't the most thrilling game, but they got on with it. They kind of moved through yeah. it quite quickly. There was 100% less Martin Rodriguez in this game as well, to its defence. <laughs> That's very true. That's absolutely I think, true. I think what I did was, because I watched the first half and I came away mm. thinking, what have I just watched? But then I kind of came back at it and thought, well... This is Gregor Townsend as an attack coach. Yeah. Has anything changed? And actually, it's really, if you look at it from that point of view, the execution's awful. Right? Yes. Let's get that out of the way. The execution and the way that the players are, are, are doing things. But if you look at the patterns they're playing, mm. and then I, just because it, the World Rugby had put it on, here's World Rugby or Six Nations had put the highlights of the 2019 Calcutta Cup up on Twitter mm. last night. And I was looking at going, some of the plays that Scotland were making in that Georgia match, they were executed absolutely atrociously. But the ideas are there. Yeah. You can see the blueprint mm. for what Townsend then went and did at Glasgow and then went and did at, is now doing with Scotland. So when you yeah. looked at it, when I looked at it from that perspective, I was like, I can get into this game if I, if I purely look at this from an attack point of view because everything yeah. else about it is terrible. I thought something similar, that this Scotland team is probably the closest to how they're playing now of any of the 20 teams in the 2011 World Cup. Mm. That actually, as I said, their attack patterns, obviously there's there's odd changes and things, and the fact that you know players are catching the ball in the way yeah. they weren't against Georgia. But it felt largely like they were, do, they were trying to achieve the same thing, and it's kind of tightened up a bit since then. But it's the same ideas. Yeah, and I think the problem is because they, they've come from... Oh, Townsend was attack coach under the late era Frank Haddon but I mm. think essentially Townsend's trying to get people who are playing snakes and ladders to play 3D chess yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're, just, they're just not they're not they're not able to to understand the instructions because it's just not the game they're trying to play or used to playing yeah. but by the time he then comes back to Scotland again he's been through Glasgow the 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 structures in Scotland are much more advanced the, the academy system's better so players are then able to grasp the kind of stuff he's asking them to do because think, some of the moves actually were some of the moves there was merit to a lot of what Scotland were trying, but yeah, you know, and, yeah. and you know Dan Parks, who we will come on to, no doubt. <laughs> some of the things were all right. There was merit yeah. to what he was trying at times. Mm. I think that's a good point about what you're saying about Townsend as well. It's just a shame that clearly in training he was saying, right, and this is the point in the move where you knock it on when you see <laughs> the 22 meter line. <laughs> I think the other thing that was really interesting is when you watched it, the stuff they were doing, they were doing it about like 10, 20 metres back from the Georgian defence. Yes. And you think, mm. well, if you'd actually just... And in the second half, they changed it. Because in the second half, they start playing a lot closer to the game line. And when they do it, things were happening. They were breaking through. But at that point, the rain had come down and the pitch was slippy. If they'd done it in the first half, they yeah. might have got a couple of tries out of it. Yeah. But it was just... But... It was maddening watching them do little inside pop passes when nowhere near the Georgian defence. Like, well, yeah. who you do, whose benefit is that for? Yeah. 
I think a lot of that though is just Dan Parks being so afraid of contact. Oh, it's awful. <laughs> and to watch, just the it? way in which he went so far out of his way to avoid. I mean, like, yes, defense you take for granted, but he hmm. wouldn't go anywhere near the attacking line, the defensive line when he had the ball. And like, there's there's a moment in defense I noted where it's kind of George have quite a messy line out and they just chuck it randomly and Gogodzo takes it. And by this point, he cu- charges onto the ball because he has to in order to get it. And he comes on with a full head of steam and he runs straight at Dan Parks. And Parks doesn't just step out of the way. He actually runs. <laughs> he runs laterally and leaves Ross Rennie to make the tackle instead. I loved looking at Ross Rennie's body language there. Just kind of like, because he had a brief like looking over to Parks moment. Yeah. Kind of like, you prick. <laughs> leaving it to him and Graham Morrison to have to do like a two-man shot on him while Parks is just like anyway I'm just going to go and quickly um, call my mum or something like, I'll, I'll be back in a second just deal with this big man there's something on my boots I've just got to wipe them clean before we go any further my theory with Parks in this game is he's he hasn't got pointy sideburns and no. I think that's from where he gets all the source of all his powers <laughs> and that's why his kicking so terrible, and that's why his decision making in this game is just all over the place. Is because he didn't he didn't cut himself in some pointy sideburns. See, okay, now I want to just shift off Dan Parks for a second because I've got a similar theory that I picked up on this game. So I noticed this is maybe the cleanest shaven Georgia team I've ever seen. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> there's at least four players without beards, which is bizarre. Like, I had a moment of looking at uh, Meryl Kogashvili, who I'm a big fan of anyway, and I sort of didn't recognise him at first. And when I did, mm. I put together, like, I forgot he was sort of handsome. And I was like, why is that? It's like, oh, no, because I'm used to having a chinchilla attached to his chin at all times. Like, he normally has this massive, thick beard, which for, like, a, a 10 fullback, you don't expect. But then I began to think about it, and I realised, actually, how Georgia have done in each World Cup, in the last three World Cups, has been directly proportional to how much facial hair Mamuku Godze had. So, 2011, yes, they beat Romania, but they can't, and they kind of have a decent game against Scotland, as we're talking about here, but they really struggle against England and Argentina, and yes, they still lose to Scotland in a game they, they possibly could have won. And, you know, he's got not much facial hair whatsoever. There's a couple, there's a bit, like he hasn't shaved that morning, but it's not real facial hair. 2015, proper beard, best Georgian performance we've seen at a World Cup, goes without saying. 2019, again, like he's got this p- kind of patchy beard. Like there's there's a signs of a beard there, but he's shaving a bit too often for it to grow through properly. And that kind of reflects the Georgian performance. They had the odd game where they kind of stood up like against Australia, but really they weren't quite there. And that's my theory on Georgia is it's, what we need is Godzic to grow like a full Dumbledore and they'll win the World Cup. <laughs> that's irrefutable. I like that theory. I think my note on the Georgian team was just, these all look like secondary Bond villains. <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> The entire team, like forwards and backs, I was just like, they, they all look like henchmen. I think, and I think it's because they're clean shaven. Because, mm. of course, you know, all, all kind of Bond villains obviously have standards for their employees to be clean shaven <laughs> and turn up well, well dressed for work. So I think that kind of added to the look. We've never seen that, have we? The handbook they hand out. Like, do Bond villains have a HR section? <laughs> hey, you must turn up to work dressed as this. Well, they all have uniforms, don't they? Yeah. Mostly. Yeah, when they're, you know, turning up for day one on that Russian submarine. So someone's taking time to think about that. And that's important, isn't it? Brand, you know, brand awareness yeah. is oh, important. Absolutely. And so that's really <laughs> important to Bond villains. You know, rather than just like lads, just, you know, it's casual Friday down the submarine. <laughs> Jeans and t-shirt, just wear what you want. Stick a pound like... in for charity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, you, I actually applied for a job doing social media for a Bond villain. Yeah, it it 
didn't go very well. You know, they wanted to be a bit po-faced. They weren't taking the jokes very well. I had a note on David Zerokashvili as well, that he looks like, you know, like, those like stone Buddhas you see in parks. Like He yeah. looks yes. like one of those. Like he looks like a statue of quite a fat man because he's so solid. Like there's no wobble in his kind of, because he's a big round bloke. But there's no wobble in it at all. Like he's somehow a round ball of muscle, and not in like even the Nick Grigg way. He's he's a he's a bizarre <laughs> shape, and he looks like he's made of stone. I wasn't aware that they were Buddhas. I thought I was just seeing stone versions of David Zerokashvili plastered around every garden. <laughs> <laughs> They're kind of fat, weeping angels. Yeah. I tell you what, though, someone that's having a lot of fun with that George in front row was Alan Jacobson. Mm. Oh yes. The there was himself. a lot of grinning and winking. And winding up going on during that game he was having a, there was a I couldn't find it I was trying to find it before this there was an article I read once and I think it was when he retired and it was mm-hmm. it might have been Al Kellogg who'd been asked to give a quote about Chunk retiring and it was this game he talked about and he said as they were in the tunnel Chunk looked up at the heavens and saw it was going to rain and he kind of went it's a day for my kind of rugby and you can just <laughs> see that all the way through this game that he is oh. in his element it is, it is pissing down with rain and he is just throwing himself everywhere, having a like literally like a pig in shit. <laughs> That's how he looks like for this whole game, and it's wonderful. Oh no, it is, and it was kind of a few minutes in. I went to check who the Scottish losehead was because I had a because I expect Alan Jacobson to always have those moments where he he kind of has those like chunky wobbles that he does, where he kind of like somehow bursts through the defence, and it happened all the time where he'd make a break and then look completely lost, like he'd never done it before. <laughs> when actually it happened the previous week. It was a great point in the second half, I think, where he, he made a break, somehow lost the ball backwards, and then managed to regather it whilst yes. the Georgian had hold of his shirt mm. at full yeah. stretch. And the interesting thing about these shirts is that, that Scott, this was the first year that the SRU did like video content on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And one of the things they did is they got players to try and tear apart the shirts as a bit of a promo <laughs> for the shirts. So these shirts are tough because they couldn't get Ross Ford or Richie Gray to tear one apart. And that's still, if anyone, that's still on YouTube, is videos of players actually tearing it apart at the neck. I reckon they must have asked Ali Strakosh, and then he must have just gone, and just like pulled it apart straight away. <laughs> like with, with not using any strength, and then just, oh, well, that just disproves our point. He just he never loaded it. Al Strakosh looked at the shirt and fell apart. <laughs> Started crying. It disintegrated into mere particles. That's how you break something. That's how you split the atom, is you get Al Strakosh to look at one. <laughs> Isn't there a story about Austrokosh? And I've got no idea whether this is true or not. About because he he lived on a farm when he was at Gloucester, and he yeah. got so annoyed at I think missing out on the 2007 World Cup squad that he went and killed a sheep. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to say that's true. Yeah. yeah, it sounds like the kind of thing he'd do. It's completely in character. I think he and Vern Cotter got on quite well. Yeah. Yes. Whereas you they look exactly. They look. He could be Vern Cotter's son if you look at him. <laughs> yes. Shaven hair, completely clean shaven, all over. Yeah. And you know it's all over as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one glance. Yeah. Yeah. But any of this Georgian team, I reckon, could just inhale a sheep in one bite. They could just, <laughs> just instantly eat them and swallow them. <laughs> to to quickly touch on the teams, to quickly run through them, we had uh, both the Lament brothers in the Scottish team, which is yep. always a, a rare treat, and one yep. Evans brother on the other. Uh, there's actually there's a moment, and I'll just head on to this, where Max Evans takes a high ball 
and Zibzadadza, the Georgian Twelve, genuinely murders him. Like, I yeah. think it's, I think there's an actual death takes place. I think, like, a priest comes on and gives him the last rites before he catches it. It's, it's quite horrific. It's, it's like watching a freight train just crash into a teacup. Like, he's shattered into a thousand pieces. It's brutal, and I loved it. See, well, what was great about it was like, it's like he shattered the teacup, but somehow the teacup reassembled itself and still kept the tea inside because he kept hold of the ball. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's so, and because when he did the slow motion version, you see Max Evans's whole body kind of just like rumple a bit, like you know Chris Ashton's face when Manu Tulangi punched him. It's like Max <laughs> Evans's body does that in full, <laughs> except that like, the ball stays under his arm and it doesn't even like he doesn't almost lose and regather it. It's safely tucked in. Did you notice for the rest of the game just how little Max Evans wanted the ball as well? <laughs> and as soon as he would get it, he'd try and step out of it and try and pass it. At one point, he passes it along the floor as well. And like, there's one point where for Kavirokashvili, that first long-range penalty he gets, mm. where he's somehow offside from an up and under on first phase, which obviously Dan Park's going to do that. How do you mistime your run on that? <laughs> yeah, It's the first time a wing has ever avoided getting the ball deliberately. Well, yeah. the interesting thing about the uh, Rory Lamont and Max Evans in this game, and I, 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 it may be this game that caused this, but they've they've both gone on to become massive five G conspiracy theorists. Have they? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I, genuinely. I genuinely. So if you watch Max Evans' Instagram at the minute, and it varies day to day, um, and <laughs> I have, I've had to keep screenshots so I don't get in trouble over this because I've said it on the on the podcast before, but he will occasionally post these videos of, like it's the, it's the entry level like meditation stuff, you know, where it's like, oh, meditate and it'll help you relax. And that's all great. But then mm-hmm. it moves on to, you can control the world with your thoughts. And he started <laughs> to talk about stuff like this and manifesting. Uh, at one point he was, he was talking to people about manifesting cities in the sky that he could go and live in. And then reposting <laughs> 5G conspiracy videos on his Instagram stories. And you look at Rory Lamont's Twitter and Instagram, and it's just the same kind of stuff. It's all about how, how we, we, we should just visualize a different world and it'll happen. And within all that is buried, and 5G is killing the earth and killing our minds. So I don't know if something happened on this tour during this World Cup to these two that they got together yeah. and just started reading David Icke. Yeah. Do you think it was, the, it was during this game they started to imagine a better world where they weren't playing in it? <laughs> They had nothing better to do but talk yeah. about 5G conspiracies, did they, during this game? You know, I've, like, I've just looked at Roy Lamont's Twitter bio. is the truth lies within. Yes. And an emoji of the earth. Wow. wow. Yeah, this is... You, you're spot on. Yeah. Wow. It's really deep. I... I mean, I would also add that, interestingly enough, I think around part... And this kind of builds into what happened in this game and what happened since with Scottish rugby. is I, This is really at a time where Scottish rugby didn't prioritise a well-felt affair at all. Right, so Rory Lamont in particular has been really unlucky. I think mm. he he talked about his experiences in France and going away and not being being forced to play concussed and things like that. But I, I'm not sure. I think in concussion, Scottish rugby were fine, but I think in terms of looking after players' mental well being, I don't yeah. think they were on top of their game around this time. When you look at what Graham Morrison has said recently yes. in terms of how he felt. I think there is an element of that. However, it is mm. odd that the two back like two two thirds of the back line are basically like spouting David Icke now. Have mm. we checked on Sean? Do we know for certain? Sean, no, Sean, Sean doesn't buy into that kind of crap. Okay. okay. He's, like, no. It's just as well they're socially distanced to be awkward Sunday dinners. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Nick DeLuca has got away with this. We can't find any dirt on him, can we? <laughs> no, Nick DeLuca, it was a real shame the way Nick DeLuca kind of left Scotland because he, he had dropped by Edinburgh and ended up going playing D2. 
Perpignan, wasn't it? Yeah. I think. Yeah. And he did all right for a bit, but I think his he was really he had a really well, I think it was Italy it was an Italy game. He had a really bad game against Italy and got absolutely slaughtered on Twitter. Mm. And he never really came back from that. And it was kind of in the I think it was very early doors Twitter where people didn't really understand that you shouldn't directly tweet people. I know it yes. still happens, but not in the yeah. same way as it was happening back then. I think he's somebody else. I mean, this that, then this is the thing about this back line. You think you've got Rory Lamont, Max Evans, Graham Morrison, and Nick DeLuca have all publicly spoken about how they struggle with mental health issues, mm. which probably says something about the way that Scotland Scottish rugby were handling that kind of stuff at the time. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. Mm. Yeah, and it was the the thing with Nick DeLuca, and I remember because he was a good player, but whenever he had bad games, they were particularly noticeably noticeably bad. Like he was, and I think there was probably yeah. something mental in the fact that if he made a mistake early on, he'd start to make more and more. Yeah, and he was a player that was prone to having really standout bad games. The Johnny Sexton effect. <laughs> yeah, but where Sexton is just fuming at the world and starts to blame everyone else for the mistakes. True. I don't know if Deluca was just blaming himself, and I think I'm putting this together in my head. Like, I, yeah, I, yeah I no, no, I think I think it. Well, I think he's spoken about that, and I think that's true. I, mean, I think the the in, again the interesting thing probably with most of this backline is they're not mm. good at decision making. Yeah, and that's probably the difference between where Scotland were then and where they are now. Is these players just are incapable of making the right decision at the right time and making decisions under pressure? Yeah. So occasionally they spark into life because something will come off and they'll make they'll just happen to make the right decision at some point. Yeah. But it's just so random. Whereas yeah. I think there's a bit more control to Scotland now. Is and you know decisions don't, and I think they're a bit more resilient. So I mean, you look at Adam, you look at Finn Russell and mm. Adam Hastings. I mean, they make a mistake on the park. And I don't think it, it doesn't. There's no way it would bother them as much as it would bother Nick DeLuca or Dan no. Parks. Yeah. Now. And the other thing I love about this current Scotland backline is Sam Johnson because he's yeah, so good at just absorbing people's mistakes. Yeah. That when someone else makes a mistake, he kind of takes it on himself, and he like will take the ball into nothing. Or yeah. Well, there's a really good book. Um, there's a book on Scottish rugby called Behind the Thistle that's written by right. David Barnes and a couple of other guys. Now, obviously, nobody that played for Scotland at this point is going to be selling autobiographies. So it was really hard to find anything about this particular yes. game. But Behind the Thistle, they went... I think they've done similar books for Wales and, and England, but they've, mm-hmm. th- in that, there's an interview with Al Kellogg where he says that Andy Robinson came in and had a no-excuse no culture. Mm, nice. So I think it all kind of started with Andy Robinson to and and he I think Scotland now actually owe a lot to Andy Robinson watching this game back. Yeah. And I think that kind of no excuse culture was something that he put in place. And I think before that it would be yeah we we did you know Scotland played to the best of our ability and we we played with pride and I think he got rid of all that. Yeah. <clears throat> I always think there's something in the in the way a lot of what Eddie Jones did was built on what Stuart Lancaster did. And he kind of took the foundations and kind of sharpened off the edges that weren't working. I do think there's something in what Cotter and um, Townsend have done with Scotland in yeah. that Robinson built a foundation of a team that was hard to beat. Um, yeah. And you look at that, that win, that 8-9 win over uh, Australia in 2009, which to me was kind of, that was the epitome of the Andy Robinson Australia. No, sorry, Andy Robinson, Scotland. In the, the, that's a conspiracy theory. Get Max Evans on that. <laughs> <laughs> Andy Robinson was coaching bloody Australia, and that's why Matt Gitter missed deliberately. Um, <laughs> they were just really hard tackling. They're really hard working, and he kind of took the elements that were in his control in terms of making sure the team is is you know really hard working. They're hard hitting. They work really hard in defence, and he knew he didn't have, as you say, it's the decision making. And it's like the the Evans brothers and so on are really talented players, but they couldn't quite. Use, uh, Tom more so, but obviously 
we we all know what happened a year prior to this. Uh, but Max Evans, I always thought, was a really talented player that could never quite use his talent properly, and I think yeah. it is the decision making highlight. Yeah. yeah, I think they need that one player in the back line, like the Sam Johnsons, you remember earlier, mm. Blair Kinghorn, the other one I was pointing out. And like Dan Parks, while is, he's a very sensible player, a very good kicker, probably doesn't have that sort of killer instinct as like a proper like test match animal that would beat your Southern Hemisphere teams. Rory Jackson being the other 10 going to this World Cup as well. Mm. You compare that to Hastings and Russell as the two current 10s, that both just such decisive players, whether what they're doing is completely batshit crazy or it's completely the right option. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think that's and that, that's the point of difference because I think you look at the, that back line and I think that technically and I think watching this game again with watching it back and I haven't watched any of these players for a long time but technically mm-hmm. the stuff they're doing is all right they're yeah. not you wouldn't say yeah. none of these players are not international standard they're all I mean even Graham yeah. Morrison throws a lovely inside pass at one point to send Sean the one away so like, these players all technically have the skills and abilities to play at this level the point of difference is it's the mental side of things. It's the decision-making. It's making the right call at the right time and executing it well. And they're obviously all capable of doing that. It's just when the pressure comes on that they fall apart, yeah. Yeah. which is classic Scott. I mean, that's, that's you know, the, the, the story of Scotland for time immemorial. Yeah. Speaking of not making the right decisions at the right time, should we talk about Dan Park? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like it's inevitable. Yeah. I had a thought whilst watching this of I can't think of enough rugby player I've ever watched that always, every single time he played, had such an impact on the game as Dan Parks that mm. you never didn't notice he was playing. Yeah, yeah. It's I think my favourite moment of Dan Parks in this game was at half-time. I'm sure you both will have noticed as well that he drops into the pocket and tries to send it out. I don't know if he's trying to do some kind of grubber into touch or something, but he obviously gets charged down because it takes about three years to drop the ball into his foot. And George are very unlucky not to score from that. And and they end up going into half time and Dan Park still has a completely straight face walking in. The the really thing the the weird thing about that is that all stemmed from his drop goal, right? Who Mm. does a drop goal on seventy eight minutes? Like take it through two more minutes of phases and then yeah. do a drop goal and go in after scoring a drop goal. Seventy-eight minutes gives the you know it gives him time to restart. And I don't know, maybe there wasn't a clock in Invercarville. I don't know, mm. but but you know it's seventy-eight minutes. So they George restart and then not once does he get charged down. But I think does he get charged down twice? Throughout the game, he certainly gets charged down more. Yeah. I think at one point, he, no, he he does. He gets charged down once, and then I think he tries to kick it sideways off the pitch and manages yeah. to get charged down. Yeah. How do you manage to get charged down whilst kicking a ball sideways off a pitch? Yeah, yeah. And he's just not deep enough. And, and you watch it back. I mean, the second half, it's the same again. He's just not deep enough. And I don't know if that's a coaching problem or him, but he's just yeah. not – He he's too close to – um, was, was it Rory Lawson uh, was playing Lawson, from half? Yeah. Lawson, he's too close to Lawson. So by the time Lawson delivers the ball, the Georgians are right up on him. Yeah, yeah. And mm. there's something about his, his commitment to not taking contact at all times means that once he's passed the ball, he always then just kind of floats away from the contact yeah. area rather than sort of committing and make himself a bit of a threat. And even if you know he's not going to carry, you know, as long as you don't sort of float away from the ball as you're passing it, yeah. then they've got to so mark this- you. There's a moment in which Sean Lamb makes a half break and offloads to Ross Rennie, yeah. who kind of goes straight through. And he's got Dan Parks in his support, and Parks begins to run away rather than be <laughs> a position for the pass. <laughs> and like, I don't want this. There's like too many Georgians. And I get scared when I'm around Welsh people. Never mind these lads. Look at them. It's a stone Buddha. <laughs> he kind of literally <laughs> runs away. 
<laughs> rather than have anything to do with like being on what could have been a try scoring move he's really taken the pass. It's yep. impressive. Like I Yeah. And the kick he's kicking so erratic, like his fourth kick. <laughs> I think I wrote down the fourth kick is from the touchline, right? And he's missed the yeah. kick at this point. I really, I think that was a really straightforward one from the post. His fourth kick is like really extreme, right on the touchline, and somehow he na- inexplicably nails it. Yeah. But when he's right in front of the yeah. post, he keeps pulling them out. I don't yeah. know what. It's that first weird. one that he shanks. The first one that he shanks, where I, I've I've got it written down on my notes. I've just put Park shanks it, kill me. <laughs> <laughs> and there's there's right. a point in the I... second half where he goes for a penalty from the halfway line. And at this point, yes. it's re- it's clear the Georgian lineout is in all sorts of trouble, even on their own lineout, let alone the Scotland one. So you think you're on the you're on the halfway line? This is you're kicking at this point is fifty percent. Kick to the corner for Christ's sake, because you will probably <laughs> score a try. They were blowing. I mean, the Georgians about fifty five minutes. The Georgians are blowing. Yeah. So, so the chance yeah, that you're yeah. gonna you're gonna drive them over or you know stretch the defence. Why go for a kick when you're kicking at 50% at that point? And then when Chris Patterson comes on, he kicks the kicking, he keeps kicking duties. They bring on, like, you know, a man mm. who can never miss. <laughs> Instead, they stay with a man who can never not kick. Yeah. So he's on sort of unstoppable object and believable force. I can't remember what that phrase is. It's gone completely. <laughs> that, that sentence really got away from me. Yeah. There was a few moments I noticed when Jim Hamilton was just looking ever so slightly mildly pissed off with <laughs> just everybody around him because he was genuinely having a very good game, actually. And like his set oh, piece yeah. was all completely fine, all going through him lineouts. And it was just like, I think Georgia were even calling the lineouts to Jim Hamilton. <laughs> That's how <laughs> present he was. And then, yeah. He had a quiet saying, first Cameron. half, though. He had yeah. quite a quiet first half. There was a lot of ruck inspecting going on. And I don't, I really, <laughs> Robbie, after your interview, I really hope he's not listening to this because I know you like. <laughs> I've, but, I've got his number now. I could just oh, wow. text him, let him know. I was slagging him off in the podcast. Yeah. But he, 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 inspe- there was a lot of kind of that thing where he was just wandering between rucks and having a little look like he was inspecting like a, a dodgy car on its MOT or something. But the second <laughs> half, he kind of really came out and was all, like you said, well, he was, he, he really seemed to kind of take the game by the scruff of the neck in the second half. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I think naturally that Scotland lineup's always going to go pretty well as well because the uh, I, the thing is, I don't really know these two Georgian second rows very well. Uh, obviously, they've got some decent options in the back row. Pretty athletic. Gorgodzagat, Basilea, Colin Ashford coming off the bench. But like that second row, I can't imagine are the fittest. Please correct me if I'm wrong. And like Hines and Hamilton's a strong second choice, second row partnership. Though, I want to take a moment to highlight Mr. Chikakadza who was the Georgian replacement lock, who came on and inside five minutes had taken Dan Park's late three times and not been penalised for it <laughs> once. And I was like, I love you. And he's wearing like a bright white scrum cap as well, so you could notice him every time in amongst all the kind of balls, weirdly shaved faces of the Georgian team. Clearly he's been watching Dan Parks and thinking, just because you didn't have the ball does not mean you can avoid contact, mate. you got something <laughs> going. To to quickly move on to the Georgian team a bit, I mentioned Joe Cashvilli, who at the time was one of the best tight heads in the world. Uh, you then yeah. had, this was kind of the tournament where Mubuka Gorodze really announced himself. He'd been playing for Montpellier for about a year or two before this. Uh, and then after this World Cup kind of came through, it was like, no, I am, I am Georgian rugby. And everyone will love me for the next how many ever years. Because he had him starting. And I thought he had a good game, for God's sake. Um, he got stripped by Ross Rennie at one point. Yes. 
He yeah. got struck by Dan Parks at one point as well. Where <laughs> oh, Dan no. Parks just inexplicably found himself in a defensive line by accident. I was I like, think... oh no, what do I do here? But that was his whole thing. If he ever found himself having to make a tackle, he always went for the ball. He always yeah. went for a strip. Because potentially he could do something useful. I think any player that gets stripped by Dan Parks should be forced to retire. <laughs> That's why Gogadze's done it. He saw we were going to rewatch this game. I mean, someone will notice. <laughs> Shit. Call it off. The glittering career is over. <laughs> George also had, I didn't want to, I've mentioned him in passing, Merab Kokashvili at Fly Half, who I love and I don't even know why. But I remember nice. when I was, exactly, when I, what was I doing this World Cup? Like 15 or something? Like three. trying to get the hashtag, hash, Merab Kokashvili is perfect, trending. And it never did. Yeah. But there are still some dodgy tweets from like 14, 15 year old me if you scroll back to those. Yeah, yeah. I remember trying to help you out, but we we each had about 20 followers. So I feel like yeah, it was exactly. not going to go somewhere. So. Yeah. And like he straight away nails a penalty from his own half, like a few minutes into the game. And I like thought I was up. onto something. He is yeah. perfect. I knew what I was talking about way back when. And he also, at one point, this was my favourite Merab moment. He, quite early on, first time Georgia get into the Scotland half, he goes for a drop goal. And in the process, he falls over. Like, yeah. he kicks the ball so hard, he falls flat on his back. And he doesn't even just stumble a bit like that Wilkinson-Farrell one. or No one's near him. He just kicks it and kind of knocks himself completely off balance as he's doing it and falls, bam, flat on his back. Love it. Yeah, Curtly Bill moment. And then, of course, <laughs> the, uh, he has the second one in the second half, another drop goal attempt, where <laughs> it's the ball that's going along the floor rather than him yeah. at the time. <laughs> Yeah, did not go according to plan at all. No. The, the um, other really interesting thing is the, the Georgia coach at the time is Richie Dixon. Hmm. Now, R- Richie yeah. Dixon has the second best win rate of any Scotland coach. Doesn't so he is second hmm. only to, to Jim Telfer. So he's got a better right. win percentage than Ian McGeekin had at Scotland. Wow. And he, he almost won. I'm trying, I think it's the 1996 96 I'll get the right this right because you'll get letters otherwise yeah the 1996 uh, five nations he all Scotland almost won that mm-hmm. so we went down to the last game against England mm-hmm. which they lost so they beat everybody mm-hmm. bar England in that in that five nations and he also Gregor Townsend is his captain on the summer oh, wow. tour that year as well and we've just done Gregor Townsend's autobiography is like a book club on the podcast, right, yeah, absolutely. which is yeah. really interesting because it, there's no way he'd write that now because he writes it after he's left as a player and it's pretty much, it, it's literally two fingers up, sticking two fingers to Scottish <laughs> rugby and everything going, ah, I'm retired, <laughs> fuck off everybody. And that's like he may, literally writes down who his enemies are and people he's never spoken to again. Wow. Um, but Richie Dixon, he really rated because he got really, when he took one, nobody would play Townsend as a fly half and Richie Dixon said, I'll play you as a fly half. They played really expansive running rugby, and I think that's watching this Georgian team. You you almost get a sense that's what he's trying to do with Georgia. Yeah, is is run that kind of game, and I think he's quite well respected. He was in charge of Georgia for a while, I think, as well, and didn't do. I don't think his win his win ratio with Georgia, I think, was fairly high. But then, mm. obviously, the teams they play, they're not playing tier one nations, so no. But I think it is something up like seventy percent or something like seventy eight percent with Georgia, which is really impressive. And this was kind of the period in which Georgia became a force that are good enough for people to complain about them not being in the Six Nations, rather than just kind yeah. of a novelty act. It was kind of that they had that one performance against Ireland in 2007, where people went, oh, they're actually, they're all right. You know, they're not just some big lads. Um, and then 2011, 2015 is where people start to take them seriously a bit. 
And I think, as you say, like, yeah, Richie Dixon's a, probably a big part of that in a way has kind of been forgotten. And I think maybe because Milton Haig's been their coach for so long now, mm. people forget it ever wasn't. I, I certainly, I've had that feeling of just like, wasn't Milton Haig the coach? Like when George declared independence in the 90s? Um, <laughs> he's just always been there. Uh, yeah, so I, I, I get the, speaking of like always been there, David Kasharava at 13, who has like yeah. 130 caps now. Again, I love him. He does nothing. Uh, he is just a purely defensive 13. And he doesn't like, he is pretty much scared of getting the ball on like Dan Park's levels. And when he does, he yeah, just walks Max into Evans. the closest forward. Yeah. yeah. And I, I love him inexplicably because he, he's just like, this is what I do. I, I can't really do anything else. If I do, I get confused. So I will stick with that. I will have a beard and make tackles. And my favourite memory of David Kajarava was the 2015 World Cup when he played against Marnano and Conrad Smith with, yes. I think it must have been playing inside him maybe. Yeah, yeah. Sharukadze. By this point, yeah. And Nono and Smith are probably going to the game expecting to go pretty well. Smith being the guy who usually pisses off a lot of other outside centres. And this time, he was getting well and truly Conrad Smith. And Kasharov was just not giving him an ounce of space. He's like, why Sky's tackling is not that good. Like, I can't get an inch of space here. But yeah, he was great, Kasharava. There's a great moment in that game where Conrad Smith looks like he's gone through a cap and Kasharava actually picks him up like Gavin Henson on Tate style and kind of wraps him under his arms and carries him backwards and drops him. And it is this, it's, it's one of those great moments that happens in World Cups where kind of av- like six out of ten players show up world-class players. Yeah. And I love that, you know, like the, the Gareth Moore skinning O'Driscoll and yeah, those kind of yeah. moments of a player who's decent, really making their statement, the thing they'll remember forever. Uh, we mentioned as well a a Georgian kick that didn't go very well with the Maribor Cash really one. There's another moment I think I think you've really I know picked up on where going. I'm going with this, yeah. where it's a really nice counter attack by Georgia. Um, and I get to Tondua, who again has been around absolutely forever. Yeah, he's been forever. Yeah, I barely remember a time, you know, other than George Skinnan, of any Georgian winger wearing that eleven shirt otherwise. And he passes to one Dimitri Basilai, who somehow off the back of this World Cup signs for Edinburgh, which generally I thought actually had a very good game. But yeah, he did. He had a great game. He has a moment in which, if you're a coach, you're going, "Do we really want this guy on our team?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because his, the number eight breaks down the wing and tries a chip over the top instead of charging over the top of Max Evans who's having this kind of game in which he isn't particularly fond of tackling and mm. he's the only man between him and the try line he tries a chip and it goes beyond the advertising hoardings <laughs> it's nowhere close it is one of those moments of the cameras are on me I'm going to try this even though I'm forward isn't it yeah I'm gonna have a go. Just, 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 just gonna see if anything yeah. can possibly happen. That's a, the relief on Max Evans and Rory Lamont's faces when that ball <laughs> goes into the stands. Yeah. <laughs> Do we want the final part of my trilogy of bad Georgian kick bits? Sure. Go on then. Uh, <laughs> so there are two moments which has happened, but there's, there's one in particular. I think towards the end of the first half, in which Scotland are in the Georgian twenty-two, and it's happened a lot in the, that first half. Like Georgia, Scotland sort of got into the twenty-two, then just got turned over. And it wasn't even an impressive bit of work from a Georgian player. They just weren't protecting the ball and they just let someone sneak yeah. in and nick it. That happens and Georgia somehow come up with the ball. And it's one of those you look at and go, well, that's surely illegal. But seeing as it's George Clancy, you're like, oh, it's a rest. Rockway hasn't given a penalty, so we'll, 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 we'll yeah. let it go. And Georgia then pass back to the pocket. And I think it's the fullback who tries to clear it. And he oh, sent, no. He doesn't even send it as far as the ruck. Yeah. which means that Scotland had made five metres off being turned over 
And I think Andy Robinson looked at that and went, I want to base my entire World Cup game plan around that moment. <laughs> and the worst thing is, Gigari, the Georgian fullback, did the exact same thing a minute later. He thought, yeah. well, my last kick went well, I'm going to try it again. And again, he slices another kick, which yeah. does make the touchline. And it probably and does reason, make about 20 metres this time. But... He stood directly between the posts and tries to yeah. clear it into touch. Barely makes the 22. Yeah. <laughs> His, his kicking was to be desired, safe to say. That is one way of putting it. There was one point, it was uh, Machika Shaleni, the 14, <laughs> um, smacks Graham Morrison in the face. I, I missed that. <laughs> right I, in I front of the touch judge. The, yeah, and he, <laughs> I, right in front of the touch judge, and the touch judge just has this look of, boys will be boys. And Kelly Brown <laughs> is like, there going, he's just punched him in the face. <laughs> Graham oh, Morrison is not a small man. No, no, I I love that it's the Georgian winger that does that as well. Yeah, <laughs> I had to go back and watch that again because I was like, got a really small man just punched Graham Morrison. And I was like, oh yeah, he did. It's just small man syndrome. He's spending all his time around these massive stone buddies and just thinking, well, I've got to make my statement somehow. Can I make a stone bleed? No, but maybe I can make an accountant bleed. I guess he must want to look hard in front of all of his friends because it's not like he's winning any fights in training, is it? <laughs> yeah. well, I'll pick on the hardest looking back in the sc- yeah, Scotland. Like, yeah. <laughs> he begins eyeing up the pack, going, eh, Hamilton, Strock, Strock, no, let's move on. Yeah. Let's go to the back. He wanted to hit Dan Parks, but he was on the other side of the pitch. Can you always coming? Yeah. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I One note as well. Just on mentioning Strokosh and Kelly Brown. Quite Kelly Brown, I thought as well, had, to, had a good game. Yeah, yeah. Talking about solid decision makers. Yeah. Yeah, the, this is the interesting thing. Now, there are two um, squibs on this team. Do you know what a squib is? It, I know the Harry Potter sense. Yes, a so a squib, a squib okay. is a, ah, a non magical. where you're going. A non magical wizard. So they're born into a wizarding family, but they have <laughs> no, no magical powers. So. According to, and this is official because this is on the Pottermore website written by J.K. Rowling, Jim Hamilton and Kelly Brown are squibs. <laughs> and so is Stuart Hogg. But those, yeah. those three specifically she has mentioned as squibs. So, there are, so there, there, there's this whole thing where she's written, because she's a big fan of Scottish rugby, you see, they, hmm. they occasionally they'll pan to her at Murrayfield. So there's this whole thing that um, Scottish rugby is a meme in the wizarding world. It's a massive in-joke. <laughs> So they don't support any, they don't follow any other human sports other than Scottish rugby because it's a massive in-joke. I've got to say, in terms of the squib she selected, Chunk was robbed. Yes, exactly. 
So it's Jim Hamilton as a distant relative of Hagrid, isn't he? That's the, the that's it. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a joke that's there. Yeah, that's <laughs> um, the joke there. Yep. Isn't Greg Tonks mentioned as well? Because... No, it's great. It's no um, Stuart Hogg is the third. Stuart one. Hogg, yeah. Okay, I was sure he mentioned she mentioned Greg Tonks because of the Tonks in Harry Potter. Or was that just on Twitter? Oh, she may have. She may well have done. Yeah, I'd be very surprised. I mean, I would think that Greg Tonks would be very. <laughs> very surprised if he'd got anywhere near a magical family. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that is not unfair. Um, <laughs> I I do love the thought of this kind of forgotten 10 fullback from Scottish rugby being a part of Harry Potter canon. And when people <laughs> yeah. read through Pottermore in detail in years to come, no one will know who Greg Tonks was. I don't think he's even got a Wikipedia page. <laughs> <laughs> Blessing. Do you think when it comes to people like Luke Hamilton, Nick Haining and so on deciding they'll play for Scotland, do you think it crosses their mind like, oh, you know what? I could one day get written into Harry Potter like canon here. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? We did. Do you, you know the story about what we did with Nick Haining, don't you? You heard this? We, we, we well, when, when um, on Twitter, there was this big, everyone saying, well, who's Nick Haining when he got announced? Mm. So we, why well, I went onto Wikipedia and wrote that Nick Haining was a trained ballet dancer yes. and a trained as a ballet dancer in his youth. <laughs> yes. And also that his, his sister was someone called Tegan Haining, who was just someone, an Australian person that I found that was had a website who, was, who trained David Beckham in the past. So we put this on Wikipedia with, and we'd, <laughs> done, we'd managed to cite, I, well, I just linked to her website. Mm. It got in the, I think it, got, it got, definitely got in the Telegraph. <laughs> Somebody just like repeated it that he was a ballet prodigy in his youth, and then Edinburgh em- Rugby had to do a video where they had to get him to, to publicly refute that that was that was a <laughs> was thing. where I saw it. That was where I was kind of incredible. Like, why is he bringing up the fact he wasn't a ballet prodigy? Yeah, surely we just assume he wasn't a ballet yeah. prodigy. And then he That's said it was his vicious. mate back home. He said it was his mate back home that he put on there, which enraged me. So I had to contact Edinburgh <laughs> Rugby directly and said, "Hang on a minute, <laughs> fact check." Yeah. Does he know? Does he know you did that? Oh, yeah. Well, I think he knows now, yeah. Right, okay. Okay. That's incredible. I love that's that. funny. That's good. Yeah. That's good. That's always a good tip. So if anybody, anybody that gets in that call, a surprise call-up during like uh, to a rug, rugby's a good one to do because the people generally these players wikipedia pages are like there's nothing on them yeah so anybody gets a called up surprisingly just get on wikipedia you've got at least 24 hours grace to do it and stick something <laughs> on there you need some sort of citation to make it feel real yeah yeah okay this is where i reckon within 24 hours of this podcast going out i'll be able to go on wikipedia and see somebody start a, like a rumor that kyle stain was in teletubbies or something like that <laughs> it wasn't teletubbies I suppose you pull that as an example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He was genuinely in Teletubbies. Right. He's he a was a green Teletubby for eighteen years. <laughs> <He's a Nunu. laughs> he was Nunu. It's <laughs> funny and convenient you bring up CBBS on when we've got Cammy on. Yeah, that's my other podcast. Yeah, we, we look at we look at we look at see the the CBBS, which requires me to look. Well, it doesn't require me because I choose to do it. Which requires me to look up CBBS fan fiction and fan art, which oh, incredibly disturbing. Yeah, as someone that spent more time than he should reading Sonic the Hedgehog fan fiction, yes. Yeah, I mean Makapaka, what he did to the Thunderbirds, <laughs> cannot. I can't. It's not. It doesn't bear repeating. It yeah, was also it was what racist. We, what we also found when we did the Teletubbies episode is we discovered mm. that there is inexplicably 
there is Harry Potter and Teletubbies fan fiction in which Snape somehow <laughs> takes the Teletubbies under his arms and then has sex with them all except for Poe because Poe's a child and Poe watches. Okay, is Jim Hamilton there? <laughs> Does he intervene? <laughs> no. <laughs> is this canon? I don't, I don't know if it's canon on the... Te- certainly I would very much doubt it's canon on uh, Harry Potter, but whether it's canon on <laughs> Teletubbies, who knows? <laughs> I hope there's a registered canon of Teletubbies' work in the way people go so religiously on Star Wars. I hope there's people really keeping track. They have Tiddlytubbies now, which are like yes. baby Teletubbies. Which just the the problem with that is it opens up this whole question of will they reproduce? That's it. Okay, so oh, yeah. you might know better than me. Are they the children of the Teletubbies, or is it like a Muppet Baby situation? I don't know. Whether they, they go to because I've got kids now, so they they're in like a nursery wing of the Teletubbies mm-hmm. dome. Okay. So I don't know how they got there. I mean, the theory we could, the best theory we could come up with is this is like, uh, what's that film with um, Jim Carrey where he doesn't know where he, oh, um, uh, it's not Ed TV, it's the other one that came out at the same time. Oh, where Truman they're Show. In, Truman, Truman Show, that's yeah. what I mean. Yeah, it's like a Truman Show situation, I think. I can't believe somehow bred in from eggs. not Truman Show. <laughs> I, I think it's because I preferred Ed TV at the time. Wow, okay. Okay, this is a whole other tangent. Yeah. I won't even begin. Um, sorry, sorry, Tiddlytubbies. Yeah, so the Tiddlytubbies. Uh, yeah. the, best, the best explanation we could come up with is they're grown, they're incubated somewhere. Right. And then okay. they're, dumped, they're, they're dumped into the zone. The, Did you do dorm. a PhD on this? Uh, no, just a podcast, which I think, <laughs> I think legally I should be given a PhD. We've I, done, yeah, we've done 20 so. episodes of podcasts looking at CBB's programs. Do you think that's maybe what they use the aerials on their head for? Are they their reproductive organs? That Is, was, are they that literally was certainly the, Yeah, that was certainly one of... There are lots of pictures of that on the internet. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, I'm sure there are. Always um, always have your safe search on that. Or have, uh, yeah. you know, having looked for colouring in pictures for the kids, always put your safe search on. I've got to say, I mean, <sighs> the recording of this podcast has not really ceased to amaze me so far. But when talking about Scotland versus Georgia, sure, I was bored when I watched the game, but I did not expect we'd be talking about <laughs> Tubby's porn within an hour. <laughs> You'd be surprised how many conversations lead there. You'd be surprised how often this happens. Maybe Welcome to the internet. Oh, I think it's on the same section as Lego porn on Pornhub. <laughs> now that I'm more familiar with. I've never heard of it. <laughs> that we've established. How to follow that up? Uh, so, rugby. Um, yeah... Does anyone like rugby? <laughs> well, I no? mean, the Scotland Scrum Half thing's interesting. You could go to Scotland Scrum Half. Yeah, Greg, Scrum Laidlaw, Half. Cool. Greg Laidlaw nearly made this World Cup. Mm, of course. Because he makes his debut against the All Blacks previous year, doesn't he? He does, and he's in the wider training squad mm. for this. And Chris Cusser reckons he was lucky to make it ahead of him. Oh. Wow, okay. Which is a real shame, because then we, then we have the... Because uh, post this... When you get to the first Six Nations game, Dan Parks wanted to retire after the World Cup. Yeah, Andy Robertson forced him to play. I don't know how, what he had on him, <laughs> other than his terrible kicking record, to for, yeah. to then persuade him to go and play against England, where he got who did he get charged down by? Uh, Charlie Hodgson. Charlie, Charlie Hodgson, Hodgson charged him down. Three, to try. Yeah, charged yeah. down tries that Six Nations. Yeah, after then, then Dan Parks retires immediately. Greg Laidlaw then is Scotland's number ten. Yeah, yeah, that was. I sometimes think on that, that there was a year in which Greg Laidlaw was an attacking-minded 10 instead of Greg Laidlaw. Weirdly nearly scored the winning try against England when he yeah. came to the bench. Yes. 
Yeah, like inches away. That was a yeah. proper, like, this is the headline for days now. Almost yeah. try. Yeah, I I had a note as well with Rory Lawson starting this game. I did think, like, he's aged really well. Yeah, doesn't he? Like, he, he, he's become, you know, he's a handsome man now in a way, like, he's so much less Ardman than he was, <laughs> he was in 2011. And like, I'm sure there's porn of that out there as well. I'm sure there's argument of like Rory Lawson x Murph, Morph rather. Either way, either way. Murph it's his um, it's his hair, isn't it? Because his hairstyle never yeah. changed. And even now, I, he has exactly the same hairstyle. Mm. I don't it's think it ever changed. Now. Other than he, at one point, he had a little bit of a a rat's tail at the back. But I don't think that on top, it's never changed at all. I think he just wills it into that shape. <laughs> even in lockdown, he's the one hair that hasn't grown wildly out of shape slash had his head shaved. And how to, this is the weird thing as well, because the start of this game, when they showed mm. the coin toss, Rory Lawson isn't tall, right? No. <laughs> but he, yeah, he is towering above both the referee and the Georgian captain. Yeah. That couldn't um, work if he was standing on a box or whether or not they were just exceptionally small. Because I had to go away and check, and I think he's five. I think he's five ten. So that's not like you know, wow. I'm six one. Because so it was the Georgian scrum half was the captain. Yeah, yeah. I'd say. Yeah, no, I was going to say, mm. did either of you watch his post-match interview after the game? Yes. Yes, yes I did. Yeah. Where he basically just tears into his We all wanted looks... more, didn't we? This game yeah. we hated, yeah. and we all wanted more. And he just seems, like, so mildly pissed off at his team, even though, you know, yeah. they've, they've pushed, like, a tier one side pretty close. And, you know, I get that regularly teams will say, like, you know, we're disappointed not to get the win and stuff. But instead he just goes, yeah, I'm disappointed. Uh, we didn't play very yeah. well. They, they were fine. They were okay. <laughs> but we weren't very good to the point he was I mean I, I wrote down the first thing he said which was just we play no good they play well <laughs> yeah. Hulk sad yeah <laughs> as well his accent sounds a bit like you know the Muppets movie where Tina Fey's doing the comedy Russian accent yeah that's pretty much exactly his accent and I know confusing the Russians and Georgians is problematic and I probably just started a war <laughs> but he also the other thing I wrote down that he said was we got a lot of penalty no Yes. Which, again, sounds like he, he so fits into that Bond villain stereotype. Yeah, yeah. He's not wrong, though. I mean, both teams' discipline was dreadful in this game. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to be fair, that might be the fact that George Clancy was in the middle. I can remember just how much I was dreading this game. I summed it up in my notes at the start of the game. I just put, Jesus Christ, why did I agree to this? I've just heard the Black Eyed Peas while looking at George Clancy's face, knowing it's all going to go downhill oh. from here somehow. Okay, so... So, the Black Eyed Peas thing. This is interesting. So, I think... Did we watch the version on YouTube with the Georgian commentary? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, yes. So, when that... Tonight's going to be a good night. Because it was 2011. It had to be It had to be that or Moves Like yeah. Jagger playing. No, it actually it's is like Moves Like Jagger. Moves Like Jagger comes, does, Moves like Jagger does come on at one point, I think. Yeah. Yeah. They play it right at the beginning. And at first, I thought it was, you know, it was diegetic. It was the music in the stadium. And it isn't. The Georgian coverage no. is just playing that in the background as they're talking. And it isn't even like the radio ed- or a version like ITV would do, where they play an edit. No, it's got the Christina Aguilera bit. Yeah, yeah, you can hear the whole thing and all the lyrics in a different language in the background. And then when they get into the teams coming out and yeah, everyone running onto the pitch, they're playing this really ominous music, like like something that plays in like a dungeon scene in a film. <laughs> it, almost, it, it sounds like they're being tortured as they come out of the, the changing rooms. It's really weird. I think that's just Ali Strokosh leaving the Chamber of Secrets, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> he is, they've got Basilia, Basilisk, 
Nice. There's a there's a How did it take us that long to make that link when talking about <laughs> Harry Potter earlier on? I know. I can't That's believe jump on it right away. Yeah. Nobody has Teletubby sounding names though, looking at the team sheet now, so give up on that one. Todua could be a Teletubby. I think he I could be, so. Alan Jacobson probably could be a secondary Teletubby character. He could certainly yeah. inhabit the Teletubbies universe somehow. <laughs> I reckon he's a he fan could of Teletubbies. The face in the sun. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. You know what? I have an anecdote about the face in the sun from the Teletubbies. <laughs> Go on. Go on, sure. So there's... I'll allow it. <laughs> this is a rugby podcast. So I had a friend at uni and once... Uh, yeah, believe it, I had a friend. But mm. I asked her randomly, randomly this thought came to my head when chatting shit at some point at about three in the morning, probably. Mm. Probably whilst at a house party drunk or something like that. Look at me, I got invited to a party once. Oh, I'll get you. But yeah, I know. And I randomly just... To break a silence, ask the question, what do you think the baby from the Teletubbies is doing now? The, the son. And then she was just there like, oh, uh, she is about to start her third year at uni and works in a shop somewhere. And I was like, wait, <laughs> what? And like, yeah, I went to school with her. Wow. So wow, that was go. just a weird coincidence. Yeah. I can throw up a similar former child star story mm-hmm. involving half party if we want it. Sure. Um, sure. What's the point? So <laughs> this is called George wonder... 2011. Go for it. <laughs> I once got a call from my friend James, uh, who I kind of used to do like a Hi, comedy writing stuff with prior to. He he doesn't care about rugby. He won't listen to this unless I mention explicitly. I mentioned at the end, but basically he once rang me and told me this story because he'd just been at a house party in in Manchester uh, where he lives, and he'd basically he'd walked into the kitchen of this person, you know, this friend's house party. And he knew everyone there except for one person who was sat at the dinner table. And there were a series of lines of coke on the table. <laughs> I was just to tell and he kind of looked over and he saw this one kid, just uh, this one, you know, man, like 25, like massively overweight ginger guy, snort this one line, one line, one line, then get up, clap his hands and walk out the room. <laughs> And because he knew everyone but that guy, James said to the, the, the friend whose party it was, who was that? Who's that guy that's just done four lines of coke and walked out of the room? And his friend said, it's like you know the kid? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He walked out of the room to go and find some Romanian hookers. Marius um, <laughs> Tinker. Carry on. Um, yeah. He said, yeah, so who who is that kid? Who is that guy that just walked out of there? And his friend said, do you know the ginger kid from the first Nanny McPhee? it's him that's i don't know if i'm legally allowed to tell that story but it's second hand so i think it's fine (laughs) that's amazing i think technically you're saying the ginger kid from running with you you haven't named him you're fine exactly yeah yeah. could be any ginger kid there must be extras in that film The other thing just about how bad this game was is the fact it's in Vicargill and um, Nix Johnson, who follows mm. us on Twitter and has been on the podcast a couple of times, said she was at the match. She says, as you drive into Invercargill, yes. Car- it, it actually has a sign that says, Invercargill, the arsehole of the world, Sir Mick Jagger. <laughs> right? And she said they're so proud of that that they actually changed it from Mick Jagger to Sir Mick Jagger when he got knighted. <laughs> I saw that. I absolutely love it. That is that is pure gold or pure arsehole, which might be a higher currency. In him, and it's, it, I can't think. I mean, Robert, you were in Japan, so you might yeah. correct me on this, but this is probably going to be one of the last times that you had people literally standing around a pitch at a World Cup yeah. rugby match. It's like proper yeah, provincial yeah. rugby, and you probably had that back in. The, I mean, I remember 
you know, it must be in the late nineties World Cup where they were playing matches in Gala Shields with temporary yeah. stands. Do you know what I mean? But this is yeah. like twenty eleven, but there's still it's because New Zealand and everyone knows everybody. It's yeah. just there's just some people stood around the pitch. <laughs> it's like wow. The same, same thing in like the um it's the Fiji Namibia game where yeah. like Times Kotzer knocks the drop goal over and someone's just there behind the post to catch it, just like walking <laughs> around because they didn't have a, a stand on that end. And it, it's that kind of weird thing. And I said the same thing on another episode of like, this is the last World Cup game I remember where there's just blocks of empty seats in the crowd. Mm. And it's funny how much it's blown up so quickly because this one still felt like an event in a way. I think kind of 2003 is the first World Cup that felt like a, a big deal. And it's grown and grown so much each time. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, mean, I think it's just that it's probably the nature. I know kind of Alan were kind of talking about this when they went for the bid that it's the last time to get a small union hosting it because yeah. of the costs. But it really probably was the last time you would get these really little, like shitty provincial grounds hosting World yeah. Cup games. I mean, the first World no, this must be the second, first one was in New Zealand, wasn't it? The second yeah. World Cup yeah. one that was in England. Yes. And they had games in Otley. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. You say that to me, like in 1991. There was a Rugby World Cup game held in Otley. <laughs> it's inconceivable now that you would have I that know. happen. It doesn't feel that long ago. Well, because the smallest stadium in, in 2019 was still like 28,000 people. Yeah. Or yeah. 20 odd thousand people, something like that. And that was given games, you know, on like a Kamarashi on the, because it had the earthquake and it had this kind of natural disaster and it was like a goodwill thing. And it is now, every World Cup stadium will 90% sell out and is needs to be, you know, a 30,000-seater. And so it is amazing, as you say, like, they, they came from Otley and they had games in, like, the Knoll and, you know, yeah. like, small grounds in Wales. It's, it's bizarre the way it's grown so quickly. I did. This point, I know the one in the 90s, which, which one, must have been the one Scotland must have co-hosted it. There was a definitely a round in the borders somewhere because my brother was at school at the time and they bust in school kids to support Uruguay and gave them all Uruguay scarves. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrific. Yes, absolutely. I'm I'm 100% behind that. Yeah. <laughs> At this point, I think it's my obligation to say, again, if anyone's listening from World Rugby that wants to host an international match at Long Eaton Rugby Club, where I play, <laughs> then hit me up. <laughs> what's, the, that... what's, the, what's the facilities like, Will? Uh, it's pretty good. I mean, Wikipedia claims there's like a thousand capacity. I'm not really sure about that. But I mean, we've got a gym and we've got a good bar. This is like not three beers. It's a thousand capacity if you can stand on the pitch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which, funny enough, even if you're playing the second team, you can't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I would go for, so my bid would be Scremiston because you, it's in, that's where Berwick Rugby Club play, which, which is my club. And that's mm-hmm. literally you get every single season. It's right on the North Sea. You get every single season and day there and oh, the wind nice. whips around something rotten. And it's a proper, a proper rugby ground, isn't it's it? It's proper, could you, could you do it at Scremiston on a wen- wet Wednesday night? territory <laughs> yeah dan carter there's um there's a video because just because it's it's scotland and it's small and provincial there's you know there's most players will have played there at some point you know mm. with there's a video of stuart hogg at 16 making his sevens debut he made his sevens debut at scremiston oh. senior oh. sevens debut at scremiston there was a pitch i played on a couple of times when i was in under 16s that was on a hill and it was like one half you had a huge advantage you say that like it's not normal. Like I'm, most, yeah. most oh, grounds play it like that. It was a proper steep incline. Yeah. Like it was a, you tripled in speed. And I remember having been in a literal uphill battle. I was playing fullback and it was not going well. We were like 50 points down and the opposition fullback was really good. 
And I remember him kind of looking like he was making a breakdown the other side and me thinking, well, at least I'm not going to tackle him. There's no way I'm getting across there in time. Hello, and then he does this massive arcing run right round, <laughs> beats everyone, comes straight at me. And I just had this moment of thinking, I've got to literally run uphill to tackle him. <laughs> and I just let him score. <laughs> and it was a proper low point. But yeah, as I say, it was my Dan Park's defence moment. When... When playing in f- fullback in that sort of a game, when you were mm. in the half where you're at the top of the hill, did you ever catch the ball when it was in flight as it was coming up to you? They genuinely didn't kick it uphill, which is oh, really, really annoying. Like, yeah. I didn't take a single high ball in that half. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was a bit rubbish. In fact, I, but I, I remember having a really bad game and being really miserable that whole day. Oh, okay, yeah. So yeah, we're talking about that game instead of Scotland Georgia twenty eleven yeah, now. Yeah. <laughs> has anyone... We've done everything we can do to to avoid talking about Scotland Georgia. <laughs> yeah. Has anyone got anything else at all to say about Scotland against Georgia from twenty eleven? Just that, just the only thing I would say is Dan Parks and you, um, you, you and Murray's celebration at the end, which is now it's one of the top gifts when you type in Scotland rugby on Twitter. The mm. three chest bump did you see this yeah no, I, yeah, I saw this so they grab they, they grab each other's face they grab themselves by the fist and they do like a, a triple chest bump right and it's obviously like it's obviously choreographed yeah it's something they've but they don't nobody else on the team does it it's not like something the team is doing it's so it's weird to see a prop and a fly half doing it. So I don't know if they were yeah. rooming together or what, yeah. or whether they just bond over Bible passages because it's a peak <laughs> kind of, you know, our best prop say... for a Sunday. <laughs> when you say that that's the third highest gift, is the second by any chance Ali Strakosh and Joe Ansbro butting heads after that Australia win? No, that's surprisingly hard to find. I think one of the other ones is mm. there's a lot of drunk fans. One of the a lot of it's Finn Russell doing dancing on the sidelines. Uh, the dance, yeah. Oh yeah, Greg Laidlaw ripping his shirt off as well. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. On that, I will move on swiftly, finally, to our designated Dick of the Day and Man of the Match. So, does anyone want to start on? Uh, well, start on Man of the Match for us. Sure. Okay. I think uh, Zibs Badza for Georgia and Basil Ibo mm-hmm. played well. I've also written for Scotland. I've just written down Chunk. I don't care about what he did during the game, but just I love him. Uh, however, <laughs> I'm going to give it to actually Rory Lamont. Because I think he actually took a lot of big hits during that game, but still kept hold of the ball. It was not an easy game to be playing fullback, and he actually did pretty well and made a couple of good breaks out of it. So The fact he was able to do that, despite being manipulated by the 5G signals coming out of the ground nearby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's a fair call. I mean, I think uh, Sean Lamont had a good game hmm. as well. I, I, you know, Rory Lamont's a really sad one, because it's one of the great lost fullbacks of Scottish rugby. Mm. Because he retired at 30, so he probably had a good couple of... Were it not for injuries? You know, Scotland lost their fullbacks overnight because Chris Patterson retires shortly after yeah. this. Roy Lamont, Lamont gets injured. So then you just have Stuart Hogg, because he makes his debut in the Six Nations after this. Of course, yeah. So it's a real kind of like sudden changing of the guard. And you kind of think, well, what would have happened if you could have had kind of like Roy Lamont guiding him through? But I think, he, you know, he, did, he had a really good game. Um, I think in the forwards... I think they gave it to Kelly Brown. I couldn't tell because they were mm. speaking Georgian. They just lingered on him for a while yeah. and said something. I think I think they've given the man a match to Kelly Brown. He had a really good game. Ross Rennie had a really good game. Um, yeah. So I think equally either of those would have been up for it. Again, I would give any game of rugby, I would always give Chunk Man of the Match. <laughs> we, um, we, vote, we, we When the blog turned 10, we did a kind of um, 
we did an awards, a fake awards ceremony. It wasn't mm-hmm. fake. We, we didn't actually have real awards, but we, <laughs> we, we decided on some awards and uh, Chunk was our cult hero of the decade. And we reached yeah. out to him. And the only response we got back to him was, what do you mean cult hero? I'm not player of the decade, question mark, for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, that just cements his cult hero status as well, doesn't it? Yeah. He's doubled down there. That's terrific. Legend. Yep. So, Chunk is your man of the match, Cammy. Yeah, Chunk's, yeah, Chunk's my man of the match. Call. I think just, just, just being able to kind of re- recover the ball whilst a Georgian literally had him by the shirt. <laughs> An indestructible shirt as well. Yeah. And I also think, like, they scrummaged really well. Scotland probably yeah. got on top against a really good Georgian pack. Yeah. And, like, you look at that team, David Oakashvili goes on from here to be one, you know, be just completely dominant for Claremont for years. And all of that team are playing in the top 14. Terrific pack. And yeah, I think genuinely he had a terrific game. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think Basilei, as you mentioned, sorry, come on. It, well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because you think, it's a bit like WP now, like guys of that stature, you don't see many of them coming through, but with modern scrum mm. rules, they cause all sorts of problems because it's so low. So yeah. it's really hard for the opposition prop to kind of deal with. Yeah, yeah. The scrumming so low, and it's almost like a wrestle now rather than a push and a shove. So yeah. kind of, Chunk was before his time. Imagine so, like, Chunk now, oh God, there's a thought. I know. Oh, I'm always thinking of Chuck now. Um, <laughs> see, I think Basilei had a very good game. And as you mentioned, Zibzabadza. Um, and I love Mero Kokash Philly. Uh, and also just being able to kick a penalty for own half wins your points for me. But I think the the one player that I looked at and every time he touched the ball, he seemed to do something was Sean Lamont. I thought actually he made, and you know, giving a winger man of the match in a game in which there are no tries feels a bit generous but he was the only player who looked like creating anything you know he made a few breaks and half breaks and... he's the only one that understood the concept of 3d chess yes <laughs> yeah. i think therein lies the problem because there was loads of times where he would get the ball and he'd break the gain line but rather than the player falling up being on his shoulder in a position to have the ball pop to them or pass to them they were anticipating him getting tackled and going into a ruck. So there were loads yes. of times where he was ready to give the pass, but the players, like, was, these, you know, his man was literally on top of him. So they just all collapsed in a heap and then it would get yeah. recycled. But if or they'd in... just been a couple of inches back, he could have popped the ball and they would have been through. So, yeah. you know, I think, and again, it, that just shows his longevity because he was right through till, mm. I mean, he actually refused to retire from international rugby. Yeah. He said, I don't, you know, I'm not going to retire. I'm never going to rule myself out. They'll leave me. <laughs> I'm not leaving them kind yeah. of thing. And good on him. Good on yeah. him. Like, if you get the chance to play for your country, and as he did for a long time, he won 100 yeah. plus caps. Yeah. yeah. More power to him. He played sevens for Scotland in the Commonwealth Games, didn't he, when he was aged about 50? Yes, he did. Yes. Yeah. 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 He was one of those players you could actually, by the time he retired, see grey hairs coming through. <laughs> and <laughs> big fan of that. Um, and you move on to Dick of the Day. Sure. Dan Parks. Dan Parks. <laughs> yeah. I don't think so, there's much argument about that. No. So, no, I, I haven't nominated Dan Parks, but Dan Parks is the reason why. So Basilea, who, yes, he does that chip that goes out five metres past the advertising hoardings, basically lands like way beyond the, the people just having a picnic on the side and in the Cargill. However, I started, in order to entertain myself a few minutes in, started keeping track of which Georgian players were putting cheap shots on Dan Parks. <laughs> so... <laughs> Of the, the starting team, I mentioned as well the replacement lock, uh, Shivagadza puts in free after coming off the bench. So nine, Abzantadza, the, the scrum half, puts in one quite early on. Uh, you've then got number seven, number two, number three, number one, number 12, and number six. <laughs> but 
other than the two second rows who were busy and jumping lineouts and stuff, the only Georgian forward not to put a cheap shot on Dan Parks is Dimitri Basilaya. And worse yet, he had two chances to do it, and both times he pulled out. Coward. Once he goes for a charge down, and he kind of then just doesn't doesn't shoulder or anything. And the other time he's headed in with a shoulder after Parks has touched, passed the ball, and he pulls out. Coward. So, when the rest of his pack are all... What is the first maximum forward play, right? You always target the opposition fly half and try to hurt him needlessly. Basilei had two chances to do that, and it's damn bloody Parks. He could have come off and we could have seen Mossy at 10, which would have been fun if nothing else. And then, instead, no, he did not take his chance. And for that, he is my dick of the day. <laughs> I think that's a good call. That is a good call. That's a good call. <laughs> Rude of you to assume Mossy would have played tennis there, Jeff Cross, though, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the weird thing about this game. They don't empty the bench. Mm. No. Yeah. And I know it's where they, like, Richie Vernon, really mobile forward. They don't, like, he didn't come on. They don't, they keep the entire front row on. And they've got an 11 day break after this. Wow, yeah. Mm. And because it wasn't that long a break since the the, the no, Romania. Uh, Romania game. No, and I looked then... at, there was, there was an interview with, with Al Strokosh on, mm. again, the Squatch Rugby YouTube channel that I, I managed to dig out, where he says they literally got one day of training in, in mm. really bad weather wow. between the games. Okay. Wow. So it was quite a short time. I don't know, it must be like five days or something. Because mm. this is the World Cup where um, there's the big complaint about the treatment of Tier 2 Nations. Yeah. I think it's where it kind of kicks off, isn't it? But they, I mean, that, that behind the Thistle book, they're all talking about how angry the, the team were about how the, the benefit England got to playing it under a closed roof. Yeah. And the basis Scotland were kicked off down to England for Carvergill for their first two games. I mean, in terms of fixtures, you want to get your, your games against the Romanians and Georgia out of the way first. Yeah. So they're almost like warm ups. But by the same token, England are getting to play in big stadiums under a closed roof in dry conditions. Yeah. Yeah. And they also get that kind of bonus of that Argentina game first up being a big game to get yourselves up for. Mm. In a way, I think Scotland were caught a bit cold by Romania and starting really well against Romania, and then they came back into it. But yeah. Mm. Um, have we? I think we've probably waffled for long enough. I was going to say, we spent 20 minutes talking about Teletubbies, and now we're managing to talk about the game. We're an hour in. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> My man of the match is Tinky Winky. Done. <laughs> um, okay, Cammy, thank you very much for joining us. Have you got anything you want to plug, anything you want to mention? Where can people find you? No, we are on Twitter. It's at Scott Rugby Blog, and you can go to our blog, scottishrugbyblog.co.uk, and you can find all the old podcasts there and all the links to how to listen to it. We try and do, because it's locked down, we're trying our best to try and do different things. So we've got one coming up on the 97 Lions, uh, Living with the Lions, which is just looking at Ian McGeekin and Jim Telfer and their <laughs> coaching. So we're, we're keeping it as parochial. We, we've been accused of being parochial and we're very proud of that. So we're trying to keep things <laughs> as parochial as we possibly can. It's in the title with a Scottish Rugby podcast. That's what we talk about. Nice. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to checking not only that out, but also the uh, CBB's podcast. So, yeah, I'm very excited for that. And thank you again for coming on. It's been very good having you on. It's been enlightening. Good. (laughs) I've enjoyed it. It's been nice. It's been nice to kind of. uh, I feel like I've I've exercised some ghosts tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Finally got them out of you. Those those terrifying Georgian ghosts. Thank you very much, Cammy, for joining us. Thank you, Will, for joining us as always. Thank you very much for listening. And good, I'm glad. I'm glad Nottingham Rugby Player of the Year, Will Owen. <laughs> thank, yeah, thank you for joining us as ever and for listening through the CBB's chat. And we'll <laughs> see you next time when we should have 
a actual, not quite oh, current, yes. but a player who played in last year's World Cup on. And I don't want to say in case it doesn't happen and there's a chance it might not, but that's exciting. Uh, a player who played in the game we're talking about. So we'll see you then for that. Thank you very much. Good night. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 